I am Douglas Little, founder, perfumer, and creative director for Heretic Perfume. You are listening to the I Am Heretic podcast. These podcasts are an exploration of the senses with a focus on fragrance, how it's made, the effects it has, and the incredible people it has led me to meet. According to Merriam-Webster, the term fetish is defined as a form of sexual desire in which gratification is linked to an abnormal degree to a particular object, item of clothing, or part of the body. The word fetish comes from the word fetico, a Portuguese word meaning obsessive fascination. To help me navigate this complex subject, we are lucky to be joined once again by the extraordinary Bettany Vernon. Bettany, aside from being an incredibly close friend and confidant, is the celebrated author of the Boudoir Bible, the uninhibited sex guide for today. She is an artist, healer, and erotic jeweler. Bettany has dedicated her work to dismantling the pleasure taboo and being a walking work of art herself. Thank you for joining us, Bettany. Thank you, Douglas, for having me. Bettany, in our first podcast together, we explored your background and we talked about sexual and sensual wellness and the way that sensual pleasure can affect many other aspects of our lives. We had such a resounding response to our conversation that I wanted to go a bit deeper and explore the world of fetish with you. What does the word fetish mean to you? Well, I think that we are all fetishist to some degree or another. Um, I believe also that uh, fetishism, as Webster's Dictionary describes it, as an obsession with uh, a specific object, is um, something that's now being tapped into by many different areas, including music, the music industry, fashion, Hmm. uh, really sort of everything. And it's come up from the underground. It's surfaced from the underneath. No, and but once upon a time, it used to be quite the shunned expression of one's desires. Mm, that's very true. That's very today. True. It's being used by every industry, really. I mean, I've seen boxes of pasta in Italy with people tied up on them. Really? Yes, and I remember there was once a a, a mosaic company that had a bound geisha on the floor, and. I think this is really exciting. We used to be punished and put into mental wards for being fetishistic. Mm. Do you think that? Do you feel that there is a a difference between fetish and kink? Well, you know me; I don't like categories. <laughs> this I do know. And when something's got a kink in it, well, it's not straight. <laughs> Are any of us straight? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great We've question. All got a kink. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, back in the seventies, we considered somebody who was kinky a little bit fetishistic, and uh, someone who was fetishistic a little bit kinky. Yeah, so they kind of play on each other. They do. Um, and again, they are categories because I don't think that anybody is exempt if they really express themselves in a pure state, in a pure expression of oneself. And we have to, like, abide by the rules of what's not kinky. I don't think anybody really fits. Mm, I think we're all kinky to some degree. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And um, I think it's more about, like, what what was 
what was right and what was wrong, what was socially acceptable. Again, you know, anyone that was considered uh, S&M or kinky or BDSM uh, only 50 years ago was really at risk. Uh, their families were at risk. Their, their, their jobs were at risk if they were to be discovered. You know, even in the 80s, people played underground. Yeah, and make a public crazy. announcement and do a music video with, with it necessarily. You know? Right. It's crazy to think about that. Fashion began to, however, tap into it. People like Vivian Westwood and Jean-Paul Gaultier, they, they, they did start to go and take the things from the underground and bring them onto the surface. And I think it's fabulous. In fact, I love both of them dearly. Yeah, there's definitely, they've both provoked and uh, and pushed boundaries, I think, a lot in the fashion world with that. You know, in my research on fetish, I found that there are 549 identified fetishes. And those fetishes run the gamut from autoplushophilia, which is the arousal of being dressed as a stuffed animal, to right. nasolingus, the arousal of sucking on a person's nose. Yep. Masochism the arousal of experiencing physical and psychological pain. And one of the things that I would like to really explore with you today is olfactophilia. Oh, of course. Sexual arousal by smells and odors. Oh, exciting. <laughs> so I wanted to dig into the psychology behind fetish and how in your world and in your book, uh, you might utilize discussion of some of fetishes and how they may even work in your work, your art, your jewelry, and hear you speak about them? Well, with full respect for the full-blown fetishist, it must be understood that the object of fetish, if it is not present, sexual arousal is not possible. Well, that's a, that's a really interesting part of what I wanted to discuss with you, is that the concept of that object being present and the idea of climax, and that is it part and parcel? Do the two have to be present well, it's often true also that a fetishist is not really all that interested in anything that has to do with penetration. Hmm. Sometimes the fetish replaces sex altogether. Let's use a shoe, you know, a shoe fetish. Right, which is a really common fetishist. one. Yeah. Yes, it's very common. If the shoe has not been charged by a superior, then it doesn't turn the fetishist on. So what does that mean? Can you break that down as far as being charged by the superior? Well, let's go back to the origin of the word. Okay. Fetico, no? Feticho. It was connected to powerful and magical objects, reliquaries, objects that got charged. Oh, fascinating. So really going into the metaphysical. Absolutely. I love it. It's very connected to religious beliefs. And we go actually further back than, than the Portuguese term, which is actually hinged on an African term, an African imbuing of objects with power. So the Portuguese actually transformed this African practice and carried it along. I mean, humans are always informing each other, no? So objects become empowered and imbued with sacred possibility. So almost like the idea of a talisman. Exactly. Hmm. So it's a really similar concept. So in lieu of that, today we are in a scenario where fetishism has become very linked to consumerism. Branding is all about fetish, 
Yeah. It's very true, especially in relationship to the concept that you just brought up about charging an object. You know, I think that's really fascinating. Tell me more. The success of a brand is because it gets charged, no? So, for example, a shoe fetishist could actually be in the presence of a shoe that has been worn by the mistress, and at a certain point, that shoe will need to be recharged. At a certain point, it will lose its, it'll lose its power. <laughs> this is so good. And and it, this this goes for really any any fetish. No, you need to charge the object. If someone sees a, uh, I don't know, goes to Disney World and sees someone dressed up as Goofy, mm-hmm. no, they might get sort of some ideas. But if it's not rested in a sexual content or in a content that's more intimate, then that plushophile file might not get very excited. Let me mm. get some ideas. But it happens through intention and and attention and through a moment of sexual energy. Like a sexual current goes through the object of fetish. Oh, it's so good. I love that. <laughs> it makes it makes it make a lot more sense. You know what I mean? It really does. I think that the idea of the shoe, you know, I, I've I, I certainly find feet to be attractive. I love looking at shoes. I don't know that I am turned on by them, um, but I always try to put my myself in that person's place, you know, to try to understand it. And I was thinking about, you know, feet fetish a lot and the research of this because it's a really common one. And I was like, oh my God, does that person who has a foot fetish, like do they walk into a shoe store and immediately burst into orgasm? No. It's fascinating. Yeah, the shoes must be charged without without a superior, a mistress, or a mastress, or a master uh, that is charging that shoe. The shoe is basically not charged. It's really that simple. And again, it needs to be recharged. Yeah, no, I think that the whole process, I think what you said, the idea of attention and the, the concept of someone taking time to actually charge the object and to, you know, to work and to play into this fantasy is, is really interesting. In one of the case studies that I found that there was a recent study that was published in the Journal of Sex reported that one in three people in the United States have taken part in at least one act of fetishism in their life. Well, that proves my point. Yeah, we no, started with, no, we're all, if you want to label us, we're And again, all I think that that's, and... that's who's, who's admitting it, do you know what I mean? But I think that that's, it's an interesting, the word, the word fetish, you know, I think is a, it's an interesting time to talk about it because we've had, uh, you and I've had many discussions about the effects of Fifty Shades of Grey um, and the way that it has kind of changed the calculus of how society views fetishism and BDSM. What's your thoughts on the results of, of the phenomenon of um, Fifty Shades of Grey and the way that, that kind of the world has viewed it? Well, it's interesting because... Yale James was actually a student of mine when I was teaching at the turn of the century in oh, London. I didn't know that. Yes, under the auspices of Coco de Mer and Soho House. You know, when I started, it was it was a very dangerous scenario, you know, that I decided to to work in and and, and dangerous uh, in what respect? In the in like the idea of ruining because of categories, because of categorization, mm-hmm. and because of this uh, um, prevailing uh, association with with S and M being something that was perverted and therefore sick kinky and therefore not straight okay right at the turn of the century i had the impression that we were on the cusp of a sort of sexual enlightenment no 
today I think things have evolved massively. And also thanks to this book that, again, rendered very commercial the idea of sexual difference, although the book doesn't really make the idea of uh, S&M any different. No, because there are lots of cliches in the book. And um, I think in many ways it was a missed opportunity. But at the same time, it did bring the idea of different kinds of loving to the masses. And uh, it really stuck in their mind. You know, it's incredible what she did. And uh, she sold more books than Harry Potter. But I encourage people to read some literature that is, I don't know, read Histoire d'eau. There are many things that precede that literature. And I think that they merit uh, attention because they are literary masterpieces. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Sasser Masok and many, many, many others. I think, too, that from the outside, there's a lot of common association that the world of fetish, the world of BDSM uh, is one that is masculine. And what was fascinating, too, about Fifty Shades of Grey was that that particular book, that it really was read almost solely by women. But the master was still a man, and Mm. he did not respect the word no. Ah, so good. I, when someone says no, it's no. Right. And he was very into fast sex, kind of rabbit sex. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm into slow sex. Yeah, slow sex is the way. And sexual ritual and consent. And when somebody says no, it means no. I agree. So taking all of that off the table for a second, meaning the book of Fifty Shades of Grey and really talking about the root of fetish, because that's what I wanted to really get into with you. What can couples and what can individuals learn and grow from fetish? Well, I think it's important to, and this is why I wrote the Boudoir Bible, uh, to understand that you have a toolbox and that toolbox can be in part just simply knowing how to use your body from head to toe. And then, of course, there's accoutrements which allow us to extend playtime, etc. I think it's uh, a question of putting down all the categories, all the rules, everything that people told you not to do. For example, I don't know, you want to, you, you, you really want to be spanked. If you ask your partner that, it should be something that they're like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, how do I do that without hurting you? This is why I wrote the book. Because right. I felt like it was missing. There was, there was... And I was also putting out tools into the world that were, um, you know, potentially dangerous if used improperly. And so I felt the responsibility was mine to make it clear how to use those tools. Um, But there is nothing more dangerous than a hand that is wheeled without love. You can kill somebody with your hands. And so I invite people to learn how to turn the body on. The entire body is riddled with nerve endings and I invite people to redefine what it means to have sex with someone and respect the fact that yes a fetishist may need just to to adore his mistress or her master in a pair of very beautiful shoes and that's enough and that's okay too and I think we mustn't reduce making love to each other to having penetration with each other mm-hmm. and making orgasm the only goal because when you start to make pleasure the goal your orgasms I guarantee are gonna just get bigger and better <laughs> I definitely agree <laughs> so I think it really is I mean I find that purely penetrative sex and that's the only goal although I love I love to make love that way as well um, I think it gets boring after a while and so 
why not explore all the options? Our entire body is made. I can reach out and touch you and and it's pleasant, no? Very. I think that we need to touch each other more. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to take more time. I think that we also mustn't be naive in thinking that the sexual energy is something insignificant and banal. That's a very powerful energy. Did you know that in one male ejaculation you could populate North America? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of energy, people. That is a lot of energy. Don't take it for granted. No, that's very true. And when we blend what we call in, in neurology our peripersonal space, we we are blending energies, and that is very powerful. I mean, and you know a lot about blending, don't you? I, this I do. This I definitely you're do. blending energies. When you're making a scent, when you're having, when you had your florgasm, mm -hmm. what a genius title, what a genius name for a scent, um, you were blending energies, and sex is the same. No, it's definitely the alchemical combination. It's kind of, it's not the each piece. It's it's when they're combined that the magic really happens. Yeah, it's very true. We don't want to talk about cheap perfume. No, that's for sure. Although I am very curious to know more about whale sperm. <laughs> we can talk about ambergris. That's can we? be fun. Absolutely. Just a moment. For sure. Tell me about it. Well, ambergris is one of the ingredients that's so historical uh, in the in the work of perfumery. And what's sad is that it's, of course, like so many things, it's now you know become something that uh, people have killed whales for, and you know it's it's really a very sad circumstance. And now, really, the most ambergris that we find in fragrances that are commonly produced are made synthetically. And real ambergris, I was actually just with my perfume instructor Mandy Aftel recently, who had a small bottle of it and it's actually whale vomit it's a misconception of whale sperm so it's whale vomit that washes up onto shore and it actually is this incredible alchemical moment that happens of the whale spewing up this mucus and it's solidifying over time uh, it congealing with the brine from the ocean the salt and then of course the sun baking it and then it washing up and then it, it uh, being used by perfumers again the work of perfumery I think is so fascinating because you know half the time it's it's nothing short of a miracle that someone figured out that these materials are fragrant or how to actually extract the materials. And the effect that ambergris has on perfume is so transformative. It's so it's so deeply rooted in the subconscious matter of the way that we interpret the animalic fragrances and how they elicit very specific pheromones that are released, causing these the, a perfume to go from being lovely to being illicit. You know, it's a really incredible transformation that happens in fragrance with this material, but it's so cost prohibitive and so rare to obtain it, especially sustainably where it's actually the whale has not been slaughtered for it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a material that has really become off the table to use. Well, I wonder what you're going to discover to replace such things. It's true. we need to leave the whales alone. Yes. Without them, we will not be here for very long. Absolutely. Hmm. They Absolutely. give us all 80% of our oxygen. Yeah, that's 
It's, yeah, we could talk. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast, Bethany Vernon. I know, I won't get started. So I wanted to go into a couple fetishes with you and to talk about, you know, your experience with them and, you know, your work with them and, you know, potentially why these fetishes are so common. But I think leather is another one that you read a lot about. Do you feel that there's any specific reason why people have such a penchant for leather? Well... Well, wearing a leather garment, you you become the avatar of bestiality, mm. as Angel Stern wrote in The Correct Sadist, an amazing book. And I think that that has, that the fetish actually stems from this idea of wearing an animal skin, which humans have done ever since humans walked <laughs> the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there's something very powerful about that in the world of, you know, in the code of, of the SM reality, a, a submissive individual is not permitted, per se, to wear leather. They might wear suede, something soft, but they're not normally seen wearing skins from a bull. Because of its dominance. Yes. Fascinating. I mean, these were these were things that we learned in the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. before it was also legal and on the surface and uh, and and commercialized. But I want to I want to trace this back for a second. In like, really, I want to dig into leather with you for a second. I love leather. Yeah, no, so do I. And I mean, we could really go down the rabbit hole on this one because I think one of that my favorite sins too. Pe- well, I was just going to go know. into that. Is that I think that people people's obvious association since the you know since film really you know was pop was popular is that we, we've seen characters wearing leather jackets and it immediately means that the person is a rebel or they're bad or you know there's always this association with leather and you know someone cloaked in leather with them being you know kind of malevolent or you know these types of terms yeah, it's a second skin it's a second you skin are definitely yeah. wearing the skin of an animal right and i mean beyond the, the practicality of it for example i don't like to get onto a motorcycle if i'm not wearing leather well you shouldn't because i don't feel safe right so it has its it has a genuine purpose mm-hmm. beyond making us feel powerful. And I think that the primal aspect of it and, you know, the the scent of leather is really an important factor to the material itself, you know, because I think it, it definitely for people, you could actually take the material out and just give someone leather to smell and their reaction to it is going to be very specific and I think plays a very much a role, certainly in, in perfumery, in creating the toughness in a fragrance, creating the kind of seductive elements in a fragrance. That's one of the notes that I really love the most, as you know. Mm. I love the smell of leather. I love, I love the sound and the squeak of leather yeah. as well. It has a sound. Mm-hmm. I remember once also eating leather gels with the chef, Mr. Blumenthal, in London in a, in a very interesting and sensual dinner that was held by Nick Knight for Show Studio and eating leather. That's crazy. Very, very exciting too. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I, I believe that leather... It must be, I mean, you'll have to tell me, but it must, it must 
has something to do, I mean, simple as this, it's got everything to do with skin. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. And I, I love the way that you drew, drew the parallel on the domination side of it, because obviously, you know, you associate dominatrix and you're kind of these John Willie visions of, you know, the dominatrix yes. and bound up in leather and these, you know, impossible heels. That, well, that was also leather. to render one uh, untouchable because oh. uh, another code that that uh, was made very clear in the 80s, someone who was working as a dominatrix is not a prostitute. She mm-hmm. does not have sex with her clients, and she is dressed to be unaccessible. There's something very exciting about that. Well, exactly. But from both sides, you know, yeah. it's, it's really, you it's see... It's of safety, like it is on the motorcycle, it is also in the dungeon. I wanted to talk to you about latex and about, um, have you ever had someone in your world who has had an obsession with plastic or PVC? And Myself. What- <laughs> <laughs> I had a moment of really, really enjoying wearing latex. What is the difference, I think, first between leather and latex? Are there any other nuances that you feel play into the world of fetish? Well, I think the main difference is that leather breathes like skin breathes. Latex does not breathe. Yeah. And, it's, and, and it became for me one of the characteristics that led me over time straight back to my leather. It's also more fragile. It requires much more care and attention. And don't you ever forget that latex and leather are not compatible. Hmm. You cannot put them together in a wardrobe. Fascinating. Mm, they don't live well together. And latex, I mean, I love it. I love the fact that it that it really closes the body. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I remember from, uh, I'm going to say mid-90s, late-90s, I was transitioning out of my goth phase and um, had a real obsession with a latex catsuit that I used to like to go to Helter Skelter in. And um, you definitely realize that uh, one night out dancing in latex doesn't breathe. No, you might find yourself <laughs> swimming in your boots. Yes, I did. You have to wear, as far as I'm concerned, you have to wear sandals. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's difficult in a, in a sandals in a latex bodysuit is not necessarily a great look. Well, the other thing is that you have to wear it in the right weather. Yeah, that's you also true. You cannot get too hot. That's very and true. You mustn't be where it's too cold because it is basically constantly taking the temperature of your body and everything around you. So California is actually a really great place to wear latex, in my opinion, as well as leather. Yeah, except well, in, at least in the evenings. Yeah, I was going to say, except in Eagle Rock. Well, this is true. I've also had some Augusts in California that are quite, quite hot. But in general, like for the moment... This yeah. is kind of, I always say, leather weather. You know? That's true. That's true. So with latex, do you think that it also has something to do with the suffocation side of it that makes it a draw? Yeah, I mean, it's an experience. I think that whatever changes our perception, and latex does that, mm-hmm. it changes the way that you perceive your own skin because your skin also becomes externalized by the, the latex somehow. Totally. And very and the shine is See, you know, it's so specific. Pop, if you pull it, it pops. And there's a whole sound factor that's very sexy, as well as a touch factor. It's, uh, it's very exciting to touch a latex, a latex body. Yeah. A body that's englobed in 
latex. Yeah, you, you it's be, very you, fitted, you know. You feel almost. Um, I remember the sensation that I used to get when I was wearing it was I, I felt almost doll-like in yes. a way, or like a mannequin. Like it was really fascinating to even be in my own body and to be wearing it and to see, you know, this kind of latex plastic appendages. It was really uh, fascinating. It's transformative. It and really I think is. That's why we are um, fascinated by it, and it's also very beautiful. I mean, I think one of the things that we mustn't underestimate is that everything that the fetishist is turned on by is also aesthetically very exciting, you know? Very much so. And whether that is the fine materials of a beautiful lace-up thigh boot or a cat suit that someone zipped in to and is covered head to toe in this material, it's very shiny. You know, it's very, it's been also prepped. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a preparation in wearing latex. You just don't go to the wardrobe and pull out your latex suit and put it on. And, right. you know, there is a ritual. And I think this is the other thing that is extremely fascinating about latex in itself. There is a ritual. You have to take care of your latex. It's an expensive garment. Yeah. And it needs to be washed properly and treated with the proper product. And it needs to be stored with talcum powder. Mm-hmm. It cannot be stored next to leather. And they are things that, that that over time wear. They wear in a different way. And I think that's also why, in the end, I, I prefer leather because leather, what is that song, that disco song, Love is Like Leather, It Never Dies. <laughs> um, and leather is something that really, if you take care of it, it never dies. That's true. So it's a durable animal product. I haven't purchased a piece of leather for a really long time. Um, but I have some very beautiful leather in my wardrobe that yes, I go back do. to over and over again. Yeah. I, my favorite thing, I have a, my motorcycle jacket is from the late 30s. And I love that jacket. I love it so much. And I, I love the way leather wears. And I, I definitely have got a weird fetish about that jacket for sure. To explore the chemistry of kink, it comes down, I think, really to the release of endorphins and serotonins. Anatomy bears out the link between sex and smells, the area of the brain through which we experience smells, the olfactory lobe, is part of the limbic system, the emotional brain, and the area through which sexual thoughts and desires are delivered. But what about scent, and what role does kink and fetish play in the role of fragrance? With you and your work with clients and with you personally, I mean, how much do you feel that smell plays that key role in eliciting fetish? For me, scent is very connected to ritual. I mean, we use scents to clear a space, to clear an energy, to mark the end of one moment and the beginning of another moment. And that in the sexual ceremony is really important. It also signals that something special is happening here. Mm. This is not just a normal day. This is not just a normal moment. There's something special happening. For me, I live it like that. And in my space in Paris, I always have something beautiful in the air, no? Whether it's an incense or whether it's, I mean, I remember asking you one day, can I put smudge in my, can I use it in the air? And you said, of course you can. Um, I also love your candles. And um, I, for me, it's, my place has a, has a scent. That oh, it is, definitely does. Yeah, and it's also a mixing of scents. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do 
I do like to burn different things and to spray different things. And sometimes it goes anywhere from an essential oil that I bought in the French pharmacy with like 38 different essential oils Mm -hmm. to my heretic, you know, which is really special and for a very special ritual. And again, it, it, it marks the difference between... The, the sacred and the profane. And I, you know, with fragrance, fragrance is such an interesting and obviously it's such an ephemeral topic in general, but in relationship to fetishism, it's even more bizarre. But I mean, ultimately, I wanted to, you know, to really boil it down into kind of a key point is that for some people, it's about arousal. And for others, it's about the relaxation that they need to achieve. So uh, again, in a lot of my reading, um, and certainly about being a man, that it's it's interesting for me and being in a sexual situation that sometimes when I'm too excited, I actually can't climax, if that makes sense to those that are listening to this, which is a lot of information for everyone. I'm sorry, but we're talking about sex. And then, you know, for women, I think it's it's different. Do you know what I mean? I think that their climax is quite different in whether they're in a state of being relaxed or stimulated. And fragrance, really, once I was, I was really digging into the nitty gritty of this before we were talking and trying to understand, you know, you hear these terms like, the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. You know what I mean? You hear these like really funny you know, terms. And there's actually some truth in it, which is fascinating. The sympathetic nervous system is really stimulated by fragrance. And the scent of food is one that's a really common fetish for people. And I really wanted to dig into that more. With some of your clients, have you ever had any food fetishes? No. No? I mean, I know people who, like, you know, get onto a bar of chocolate and they can't put it down. What was fascinating was there was a study that was done in 1999 with a group of 30 men and they exposed these gentlemen between the ages of 18 to 60 to a series of 28 different scents and they also attached their bodies to a device that would detect stimulation in the penis and the most stimulating scent was a combination of lavender and pumpkin pie. And I love uh, lavender, it's one of my favorites. M- me too. But interesting that these scents, when they actually did the the deep dive on the chemistry, are scents that create feelings of safety, of home, and relaxation. And these were scents that these men found were very erotic. Well, maybe those are also um, characteristics that men have not been allowed to express freely Mm. and consider that in general the majority of blue-blooded fetishists are men that's interesting i didn't think about that that's very interesting huh that's fascinating They did the same study, actually, with women as well. And with women, um, they found that also women were very stimulated by a relaxing sense, um, and they were aroused by relaxing sense, and that there was more blood flow to the vagina um, through exposure to lavender again. Mm. (laughs) The other two that were fascinating was the smell of donuts and black licorice. So when, when you smell a donut, does your vagina get excited? No. 
but when I <laughs> smell leather, it does. <laughs> well, again, I think it's just really the way that the brain interprets these fragrances and our associations. I'm trying to think of a, of a scent. Um, well, everything that you do, really, I have to say, Douglas. It well, you and I out. speak the same language with fragrance, so. Yes. Um, but I'm trying to think of a food. I guess I don't have a food fetish. Yeah. Um, but I do get quite turned on eating natto. Oh. And natto is also, it's got a very <laughs> so good texture. For those of you who don't know what natto is, it's a fermented soybean that's eaten in Japan. And it smells rather like sperm. It, it sure it does. It has a consistency that's very sperm-like. It is. It has got a funk. It's got a funk, and it's actually a funk that comes from an enzyme. It's yeah. mixed in with the with the soy, and then you you beat it up, yeah. <laughs> and you get the enzymes all activated, and it has a very 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 sexual scent. Oh, it's it's so funny. I always forget about natto and the fragrance that it has. It is really erotic. It's a little bit like horse chestnuts when they're when they're green. They have this very distinctive sperm smell to them. And I always forget that natto has that fragrance. Yeah, it it's does, so weird. It has that fragrance. I'm trying to think of other foods that are you know that. But I think that of all foods that I do actually love is maybe one of the most erotic. In yeah. fact, I remember the first time being in a in a Japanese restaurant and asking for it, and they were quite shocked mm. that that I was asking for it. Yeah, because it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's a little bit like uni, which I love uni. I love but uni too. A, a lot of people consider it the vagina of the sea. So that and oysters. I mean, of course, you know, oysters are also the vagina of the sea. That's the truth. Or the vulva of the sea. <laughs> exactly. That's where all the action actually happens. <laughs> For listeners that are interested in finding out more about you and your work, they can do that at bettanyvernon.com, correct? Yes, B-E-T-O-N-Y-V-E-R-N-O-N.com. It's just an informational site. At the moment, um, for the jewelry, we just work with a downloadable uh, catalog, and uh, you're invited to make an appointment to come to Paris to the showroom to view the collection, which is 420 pieces of jewelry. And... uh, well, you'll see. Take a little tour. <laughs> and then, of course, they can find your extraordinary Instagram feed, which is so beautiful and features your work and jewelry, uh, at Bettany Vernon Official, correct? Uh, it's Bettany Vernon Official, yes. Right. As well as Bettany Vernon, which is my personal, where you get a little bit more of me. Yes, and the Boudoir Bible, it's um, available online, but I do encourage people to go to bookstores when they can, because it's um, the temple of knowledge. Uh, is slowly closing its doors I see all around us so support your local bookstore yeah I agree well Bethany thank you again and listeners if you're enjoying this podcast series please rate us on Spotify and iTunes thank you so much for joining us today and I will look forward to speaking to you next week ciao thank you <laughs>